Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the I'll Be Back podcast. Um, what a weekend we just had. Um, it was awesome. Unfortunately, the outcome wasn't what we wanted. Uh, but to help us help us recap that, uh, I, I reached out to him. Who better to do this than Matt Martucci, who had the privilege to announce all three games that happened Saturday um, at the Big Five Classic, the first one at the Wells Fargo Center. Matt, thank you so much for doing this with us. Oh, Sean, my pleasure. Um, anytime I get to talk a uh, little Big Five hoops and, um, you know, spend a little time with you is awesome. Um, it is uh, Monday night. I just opened a Coors Light up, um, and I don't even know how much <laughs> I'm going to finish of this. I'm I'm hurting from the weekend and tired from the weekend myself still, um, and Matt's being a, a good person on a Monday and just uh, hanging out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it's great. It's uh, this is no better way to spend a Monday in my mind. I was, I was going to be up anyway, so... I, Enjoy that Coors Light. Um, so, Matt, before we start talking about the games, just for some people who are unaware of you and how you are connected to this, um, you are the play-by-play guy for St. Joe's. You've been doing that for about 14, 15 years now um, with Joe Lenardi. So just give us a little insight. How did that happen? How did that come about? And um, how do you like commentating college basketball in Philly? Yeah, it's uh, it's funny, Sean. Um I'm going back. I'll be I'll be 40 in March, and uh, my career in Philadelphia started in uh, 2006. I was I was really lucky in that um, I did my undergrad at Syracuse, um, got out in 06, and I I kind of knew pretty early on that this this was what I wanted to do. I've known I wanted to be a play by play guy since I was about 12 or 13, and um, when a, a lot of my friends from school, you know, who were broadcast journalism majors, were looking for jobs. A lot of them wanted to be like local TV sports anchors, um, you know, because in, in for for uh, lack of a better word, there there are more jobs, you know, in that in that side of the field coming out of school. So if you want to get a job potentially right away in television, if you want to do television, local TV is usually a, a good spot to start. Um, I was a little bit more hard headed and uh, I wanted to, to get into play by play kind of right away. And there was only really one market that I ever really wanted to be in. And my thought was, I'm I'm gonna try and 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 you know carve out my career, make my bones in Philadelphia. And back then, when you wanted to apply for a play-by-play job, it wasn't like you sent a link or you had somebody download an MP3 or or whatever. You actually had to send out resume CDs. So you put like your best five or ten minutes of radio play-by-play on a CD, and you would send it out. So um, as fate would have it. A good friend of mine uh, named Matt Chazanow, who's uh, now a Westwood One radio announcer and the voice of Washington State um, out in Pullman, Washington. Matt, one of the jobs he had applied for coming out of school was the St. Joe's women's basketball job because one of his high school buddies, his name was Andrew, was the women's basketball manager at the time, one of the head managers, and he knew that they had an opening for a play-by-play guy. Well, Matt ended up getting a, a better offer at what was then ISP Sports. It's now uh, Learfield IMG, actually the uh, radio network the Temple's on. And he took a job studio hosting and and doing stuff down at ISP. And all of a sudden the St. Joe's women's job was open. And, you know, you the the way that this business typically works, you know, if you have a connection, if you you have a way to network with somebody, if you can find an in, that's usually the way that, that a lot of people get jobs. Um, you kind of have to find... Uh, a loophole or, you know, some way to separate yourself from, it helps to yeah, know from the, <laughs> yeah, it helps to know people from the, from the hundred or so other people, I mean, that would apply for jobs. And I, I learned exactly what this business was coming out of senior year of college when I applied for a Siena women's basketball job and they got 140 tapes. Um, <laughs> and it was like, okay, this is, this is what I'm up against. So long story short, uh, my buddy puts in a call to his friend Basically, they uh, tell me who I need to send my my resume CD to, and um, it was and she's now a, a good friend of mine and has been for a long time. Our longtime uh, former SID Marie Wozniak, uh, who's now the sports information director at Rowan, actually working under my buddy John Janini, and um, I, I sent my CD to Marie, more or less told me she listened to it and liked it and said, "Hey, um, you know, we'd we'd like to have you have you come down and." I'll potentially talk to you about doing some women's basketball games and maybe some other stuff. So um, that was fall of 06. And, and uh, 
the city of Philadelphia has been stuck with me pretty much ever since. So I, I came right out of school and I got the St. Joe's women's job. And then um, this is this is always weird to say. Harry Callis was one of my childhood idols. You know, I can remember going to the Jersey Shore, going to Longport uh, with my family. And on Sundays, uh, after HK would do radio for two nights, on Sundays, the Phillies games were on PHL 17. We didn't get Prism down there, so you couldn't – like, I I didn't watch the Phillies on TV Friday and Saturday, but I knew that, like, Sunday you get a chance where Harry would do TV. So I'm used to listening to Harry on the radio. It was always cool to be able to come up from the beach and turn on, like, a, I, I guess – Back then, I can't remember if they were 1235 or 105, but like a 105 Phillies game on a Sunday and listen to HK. So the only reason I ended up really getting the men's job was uh, Harry passed, uh, unfortunately, God rest his soul, in in the booth. Um, that when, when was it? April of 09, I guess. And Tom McCarthy, who was our men's announcer at the time and was doing, I think, the middle three on TV for the Phillies, all of a sudden, you know, Tom ended up getting Harry's job. Tom was getting more national TV work. And then uh, it kind of opened the door for him not to come back to St. Joe's. And I had been filling in for him and working with Joe Lenardi anyway. And I can still remember it. You know, the phone call I received, I was at a, a car dealership in Egg Harbor Township um, doing sitting with Mike Gill and, and who's the ESPN Atlantic City host. Uh, ESPN Radio Atlantic City host down there, and Pete Thompson, who was a longtime local sportscaster down there. And I'm sitting with with Mike and PT, and I get a phone call um, from Marie saying, hey, Matt, Tom's not coming back. Uh, we'd like to bring you in and and more or less talk to you about your interest in, in his job. And I was like, I was almost in tears, I remember that day. And, you know, ever since then, uh, for, since 0910, I've been fortunate enough to be the voice of of St. Joe's men's basketball, and um, it's it's grown. I've I never envisioned Sean that I would necessarily get to do this on the level that I've had the opportunity to do it in Philadelphia. Because, like I said, this this was the only place I ever wanted to be. Um, this is my home media market. My grandfather on my dad's side is from the Italian neighborhood, Tenth and Catherine in South Philly. Um, I've gone to the, gone to Longport, uh, down the Jersey Shore since for as long as I can remember, since I've been four or five years old, um, I never really wanted to be anywhere else, but here. So, uh, that was, uh, probably a mouthful and a little more than maybe you wanted, but, um, that's, uh, that's the cliff notes, notes version of the cliff notes version of, of how I got to Philly and, and how it became the, the voice of St. Joe's. No, that's awesome. Do you ever, um, you know, like sit back and watch the Phillies game, or even if it's a Sunday CBS game and you hear McCarthy's voice, and you're like, dang, I really took over for this guy. Like that's got to like that alone. I, I couldn't imagine. I love McCarthy. I think I'd like you said, rest HK soul. Uh, but McCarthy's done an incredible job uh, filling in for him since then. And like you said, he's getting more national recognition as well. So for you to just sit there and be like, dang, like this guy is awesome at his job. So they really asked me to like come in and take over for him. That alone's just kind of got to be kind of like mind blowing for you sometimes. Yeah. And it's, I mean, uh, Tom was, Tom was, and has always been great to me. And, uh, the coolest thing is now that, um, we've kind of come full circle. Like I, I would fill in for Tom, you know, when Tom would go to do TV and now Tom's son, Pat, uh, Pat is our, Pat basically does our radio at home when Joe and I do ESPN plus, And then, um, you know, when I, when I can't do something, we'll fill in on TV as well. And he's a great broadcaster in his own right. Um, you know, God bless him, just went through a, a heck of a time, um, ended up, you know, ended up getting hit by a car, running, training for a marathon, and has been recovering. And, and thank God we're, we're going to get him back this week. Um, but, yeah, it's it's crazy how how we've come kind of full circle uh, from, from doing that. Uh, but, yeah, you're you're exactly right. Now, team, watching TMAC on Sundays now on an NFL package and the SEC on CBS on Saturdays, uh, Tom, in terms of versatility, I think Tom is as good as anybody, um, out there. And, um, honestly, I like people, people love him on baseball. People love his basketball. I love, I, I think my, my favorite thing to listen to Tom do is the NFL on like what on Westwood one. I think Tom on national radio even is, is even better than his TV call, which is, which is great in itself. Um, but I, I, I think Tom is as versatile and, and as good as any announcer on the national stage out there. So, yeah, I was 
I was pretty fortunate that, uh, that I got a front row seat to that the first few years and, um, that, you know, he's still somebody that I, that I watch and, um, whose call I, I enjoy every week. Um, speaking of front row seats on Saturday, you and, uh, Dr. John Giannini both had the, the front seats first row to the, uh, the big five classic games. That's who you did the game with on Saturday, correct? Yeah, that's right. Yep. That's so, my guy, so man. Go, go, I was going to say, you're just going from one, you know, local uh, legend to the next, whether you're sitting next to Lenardi, <laughs> Giannini, having McCarthy do games for you. Um, how was, you know, you're, we'll get into the Temple St. Joe's game, but just overall, how was the day for you? Um, and just your thoughts of the first uh, inaugural Wells Fargo Big Five Classic. Um, so here's here's the start to it. Uh, the night before, I didn't didn't really sleep a ton. Um, part partially because my kids have been sick for for a portion of the week. I have five year old and three year old daughters. Um, uh, the other part of it was I I had like a little bit of an eye irritation going on where I ended up ended up having to go to like urgent care Friday and get like an antibiotic and make sure that you know I'm putting drops in my eyes so I don't look like the crypt keeper Saturday. Uh, on those broadcasts um and then I, i'm never done prep wise until i tell myself i'm done until in my head i can be comfortable saying you know what I'm, I'm walking into this broadcast feeling like i've done everything i can do to be as totally prepared for this as i can um and that wasn't the case necessarily i was i mean some of it was probably you know nerves uh and the other part of it is you just want to make sure that you do a good job because people have put faith in you to be in a position that, that others would absolutely kill for. Um, I tell people all the time, I get my history in the big five goes back. Um, I was actually telling Mike Frieswick this today on Twitter. The, the first, first introduction to a big five school was a temple owls TU winning is an attitude poster uh, on my, my brother's bedroom wall that I don't know if they had found or somebody had given to them or what, but signed by most of the 87, 88 team, Mike Frieswick and Howie Evans, Tim Perry, Mark Macon. Um, and that was kind of my intro. And I can remember being a little kid uh, watching Mark Macon with my brothers and my, my parents on TV in the tournament, almost take down Duke. Um, so I've, I I'm lucky in that I, I'm an older soul because I'm, I'm almost 40, but I have brothers that are 47 and 49. So I was the typical little brother. You always want to do what, what big brother does. Um, you follow him around, you, uh, you get your ass kicked every now and then. I was going to say as a, as a little brother myself, I, I, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, anybody (laughs) for the most part, anybody that, um, that I've been friends with long enough knows that, um, that I have a little bit of a sarcastic, you know, like instigator streak in me for sure. Yep. Yep. So, um, but I, I had a lot of influences that way in terms of the sports that I watched. Um, so early big five influences goes back a, a long way. I can remember watching the Atlantic 10 tournament because we didn't have cable until I was 11 or 12 on Philly 57. You know, when, when John Chaney was the head coach at Temple, John Griffin was the head coach at St. Joe's and he had a, a top assistant named Phil Martelli, who uh, I ended up working under for 10 years. Um, so my roots in this thing, at least from an individual standpoint, go, go back a little bit. Um, so I think about stuff like that all the time, just, just how full circle this has come. Um, so that's, that's where like the preempt, you know, to that, that, that whole event starts. And then like you get there Saturday and, um, you're there two hours before tip and, um, the anticipation's just building. Like I walked in Friday to go to Drexel and Penn's shoot arounds because they were the day before. And I got in a little early, about 20 minutes before Drexel got in. I was the first one in. Um, and I'm just standing as you walk into like the entrance to the arena. And all I see is that massive scoreboard upgrade that they've done. Cause it was the first time I'd been in the Wells Fargo center since the pandemic. I haven't been to like a Sixers game or a Flyers game in a while. Um, it's what happens when you have kids. Yeah. Um, <laughs> You're, you're doing your events and then for the most part you're either home or you're on like a family trip or that's that's about it uh people don't realize that until you until you have children it's, it's, <laughs> it's the best it's thing a, it's a short it's, lifestyle <laughs> it's the it's the best thing in the world but it's also like you know people people who don't have kids they're like oh like i don't have any free time and you're like what 
Like, what are you, what are you, what are you talking about? Um, but anyway, I, I walked in Friday and I looked up at that scoreboard and the big five classic logo was up on it and it was dark and you could see it, you could see it, the lighten up the arena. And I was like, wow, I, I, I even put it up on social media. I was like, this really feels big time. Uh, this, this feels like this, this could be really cool provided, you know, with, with these things, you look at the big five doubleheader last year could have potentially been great, but not as many people showed up as, as what they wanted. So, um, I, I was more or less excited about it from the jump. And then like we got in there on Saturday and I was expecting from, from the get go, angry Villanova, like we're going to, we're going to come in and we're going to knock down 15 threes and we're just going to, we're going to kick the crap out of Drexel and credit to, to Zach Spiker and, and the game plan that they had put together um, in terms of what they were going to do to defend Eric Dixon and, um, you know, uh, the, the double teams that they were putting on him and then just really, really making it tough for, for Nova to get into the lane after they decided, you know, when shots weren't falling, that that's what they were going to do a little more of. Um, so that was where the day kind of started. And then, yeah. um, we bled into a, a back and forth, uh, LaSalle versus Penn game, 13 ties, 14 lead changes, I don't need to tell you about what those last, you know, 10 or 12 seconds were like. The The irony of it is, um, I don't even know if people realize this because I was too caught up in the moment to tell them in the fact that there was only four seconds left. Clark Slackard on that pen bucket with four seconds left tied a career high and put them up. So he had 31 at that point. The bucket puts him at 33. And it's like, all right, we're up by two. And, and... He's probably he's probably not even thinking about it at that point. But at that point, I know it's like, wow, he just tied a career high. And then all of a sudden, Brantley gets the ball, and it's like, oh my god, like he's like Khalil Brantley, just like Jameer Brickus is really, really freaking fast. They, they combined for like seventy points against us last Wednesday. So yep. like between yep. the two of them, I was like, all right, I mean, they have a shot. Whoever gets the ball, they have a shot. There, that's and but that's why they're going to win more than people expect them to because guard play wins out in college basketball, especially come come later in the season. You get to conference tournament time, but anyway, Khalil Brantley covers ground and covers it in a hurry. So by the time he got over half court, I was like, oh my wow, this is like you're you're trying to like read and react and watch it as it's happening. And my first reaction was, oh my god, and you know I'm uh. Raised, raised in a Catholic household. So uh, <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I felt my mother slapping me in the back of the head being like, it's not, oh my God, it's oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the first thing that came to mind was, oh my goodness. Um, and, you know, I would hope that that's probably what most people were feeling looking at that, like, oh my goodness, or holy, you know what? Like that just happened. Um, and there was no doubt. I didn't even, I, I knew he had gotten it off in time. Oh yeah, hundred percent got it. Off. It was it was it was evidently clear, um, that abundantly clear that he had gotten it off. So they came over to review it, and it was like, "Now nah, this is over already." Yeah, it's like, not um, and then I mean, you you finish up the night with the the most played matchup in in Big Five history. That if it hadn't set up this way, if Temple hadn't beaten Drexel and LaSalle, and St. Joe's hadn't taken care of Penn, and then, um. You know, it's never really happened in the 15 years other than like one other time that I've been doing St. Joe's games kind of handled Villanova for a majority of that game. If that doesn't happen, I mean, St. Joe's and Temple don't play for the first time since God knows when it happened, happened, uh, didn't happen during the pandemic, the the one pandemic year, uh, 2021. I don't think there was a matchup if I, yeah, if I remember right, um, but otherwise, yeah, that's that's not happening this year for the first time in in decades upon decades, pretty much. Um, so it was about as good of a day as you could ask for. And I was I was thrilled to be a part of it. And then you add in the fact that you're talking about John Giannini. Um, most people probably don't know this unless, you know, you're watching you were watching like you're just a college basketball junkie and you were watching random random Atlantic 10 games. Um you know, a couple of years ago on, on, uh, it was a network called stadium. It's still around. Um, we did an Atlantic 10 package together for two years that ended, um, during 
crazy enough, ended during the Obi Toppin Dayton team year where they should have gone to the Final Four and then the pandemic wiped it out. But then after that, they the, the Atlantic 10 signed with ESPN Plus. They didn't bring that package back. So I only get, I only would get to work with him like once or twice a year um, on the Atlantic 10 first round and you know every and whatever else we could really get our hands on. Um, so a- anytime I get to work with him is awesome. Um, I, I think people probably realize this watching those games. Uh, there are a few analysts in this game that work harder and he hasn't even been doing it that long. He had a hundred pages of notes. I kid you not, Sean, a hundred, a hundred pages of notes for those three games. And Friday, like we're talking beforehand, he and I talk usually like multiple times a week. He's, I kid you not. He's, he's one of the great friends that I have. And, um, you know, <laughs> He knows this because I've told him, but I used to think he was a maniac on the sidelines. That's um, I, I, that's all I can picture is him on the sidelines. Just the most like just losing losing his mind, losing yes. his mind. Um, but then like you actually get to know G the person, and there are so many more layers to him. And um, I'm so glad that I do, and that you know that that we've gotten to become um as great of friends as we are. Uh. You know, every now and then he's like my, he's my happy hour buddy from time to time. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, I mean, we live, we live like 10, 15 minutes from each other in South Jersey. So it's, it's really cool. Um, it's not just, not just my broadcast partner. He's, he's a really good friend who I'm, I'm really proud to work with. And I'll, I'll tell you one more quick story. <laughs> when, when we first, first started working together, I don't know why this happened, but it did when he found out he was going to work with me on these stadium broadcasts, he had gotten my number from Marie Wozniak or, or somebody at St. Joe's and he reached out and he probably might've called me once or twice. And I want to say my number, my, my phone showed the number as like being like potential spam. So <laughs> like most people this day and age, what do you do? Yeah, you, you, you don't, see a number you don't answer that. Yeah. Or, or you either don't answer it or you just, if you have an iPhone, like you yeah. just go to the thing, you hit info and you hit block caller. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I blocked this number and it turns out like he calls me a couple more times and he's been trying to reach me for like a week and a half and I'm not picking up the phone because I don't know that he's calling yeah, me because you I blocked, blocked this number. So, um, there's also like a section on your iPhone that says blocked voicemails and like, or deleted. I don't even know what it is. I think it's blocked voicemails. So I get a phone call from Marie the one day that's like, like, do you, do you not like Janini or something like that? Like, like what the hell did, what the hell did he do to you? And so all of a sudden it's like, and lo and behold, like unbeknownst to me, he's like, he's, geez, telling his wife more or less, like, you know, he's like, he's like, Jay Wright will call me back. Like <laughs> you know, Martelli will call me back. Fran Dunphy, John Chaney, like all these people will return Matt, my calls. Matt, Matt, won't call Mar- back. Matt, Matt Martucci, Matt Martucci is an asshole. Like, <laughs> why is, why is he not calling me back? So that this was how it started. And lo and behold, I'm like, Marie, I have no, there's no way he's been calling me. And then like, I go into my voicemails and under block voicemails, there are like two or three voicemails. And I'm like, <laughs> I am such a, uh, I am such a shithead. I, I I blocked the guy that I'm supposed so, to be working with, a former so now, Big Five um, basketball coach. <laughs> yeah. So now, anytime, um, anytime, like somebody doesn't necessarily call him back, uh, like he'll be like, I don't know. They're pulled. They pulled a Martucci. <laughs> so we we laugh a ton about it now. Uh, but that's the first time I've, I've I've publicly told that story, and um, hopefully. You know, hopefully he'll laugh about it as much as I do. <laughs> um, no, it's I, I, he, like you said, he's animated on the sidelines. That's always my first impression of him. Um, but yeah, what a day. I mean, for you to do that. And it's funny, we didn't even begin to start talking about the coaches that were all there. I mean, you mentioned Fran Dumphy, you got Lang, you got Adam Fisher, Temple's new coach. There's just so many layers to that whole day. Um, I mean, watching the first game, like you mentioned, thinking Nova probably wins by 20 or 30, and then Drexel's going to win on this game-winning block. I mean, the excitement from the first game on until I almost feel bad. I feel like Temple St. Joe's was probably the least exciting game for the. I mean, it's a championship. Right, right. Saint yeah, Joe's supposed, supposed to be the build, the build up. Yeah, yeah, the build up is supposed to be to that. Yeah. Um, and St. Joe's, you know, for the most part, had control much of the game. Um, I mean, I got there 
it was funny. Me and my buddy, we got off the subway about 6.30, and we were like, we got some time. We could probably go to Xfinity for one. And then I was like, nah, we'll just go right in. There's about two minutes left in the regulation. And and, <laughs> and we were, were like, did. Yeah. well, first off, our thought was like, oh, good thing we did come in because it looks like this is going to end soon, and then we'll be up. And then we're like, oh, shit, we didn't even think about this going to overtime which means the Temple St. Joe's tip-off will get pushed back. So then we're like, oh, we should have went to Xfinity. Our game's not even starting anytime soon. And then the, the buzzer beater went off, and we're like, thank God we came to this game. <laughs> so we were – like, our emotions were, like, left and right. Like, we should have went. We didn't go. What do we do? And then he hit – and you mentioned when uh, the the pen player hit the, the layup with two seconds left – or four seconds left to put him up two. I was, like, waiting for LaSalle to, like, call timeout. Like, I don't even know if they had a timeout to call. It just didn't happen. So I'm like, oh, crap, we're playing still. Like, And then before you know it, bank in and the game, like the stadium erupted. I mean, I, it was awesome. I, I give a lot of a lot of the coaches credit. Um, and it, it happened multiple times. Fran being one of them, Steve Donahue being another. Um, because the possession before that, he didn't call a timeout either. And he could have. I think he had one left at that point. And uh, Kyle Neptune did the same thing on Nova's last possession. It, it didn't unfortunately go the way they wanted to. Um, but he, they all put the game in the hands of their players, which I, I think is pretty cool. And if you have, you know, if you have veteran kids, like if you have a Clark Slacker, um, you know, if you're, you're Villanova, you have a Justin Moore. If you're St. Joe's, you have an Eric Reynolds. Um, you can do stuff like that uh, because there is that trust and you built that trust with kids that have been in your program for a while. So um, I always think that that's, that's really cool. And it it says a lot about these guys that they don't try to like as 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 much as as much as they can, and you know it's it's in their right to do it because it's their team, it's their kids, but um, try to overdo it. Uh, they they more or less let let it be decided by their kids, let it be decided by the players, and um, not put too much of a hand into those last twenty or thirty seconds, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, and I'm just thinking to myself, that's the first time we've mentioned Eric Reynolds' name, and he's probably, I think, the best top two players in the whole city. Um, and uh, let, let's get to the the Temple-St. Joe's game. I mean, I thought it was um, – I wasn't sure what to expect going into it. I don't know. What were your expectations? I'm sure, you know, for the broadcast, you have to be neutral, but I'm sure, you, you know, you, you have your St. Joe's, uh, you know, before the game, what your expectations were. What were you thinking going into this game? Well, I mean – the thought is, and again, we'll put put what I do and, and who I call games for aside for a second. When you looked at this on paper, you look at the St. Joe's side, 88% of your scoring back, all five starters back, almost beat Kentucky, just took care of Villanova, um, for the most part was was pretty much in control against Penn most of that game until late when Clark Slacker went crazy. Uh, you felt like there was going to be a little bit of an advantage there. And then you look at Temple. I, I think Adam Fisher's done a great job, by the way, bringing in kids, the pieces that fit right away, and guys that are impact transfers. So kudos to him before I even say what I'm going to say. You have two guys, essentially, that contributed to that, that were on the roster when, when Aaron McKee was the head coach. So it, it was going to be hard regardless. And the fact that they were in that title game, I think, says a lot about where they are. And you heard G say it, I think, multiple times on our broadcast, and I believe it. They are ahead of schedule. Um, they, you know, I don't think they're they're going to be, you know, a top four or five team in the American, but I also don't think they're going to be bottom three either. They'll probably beat some teams that they're not supposed to in conference play because he's already a good coach and he already has good pieces. So um, that being said, I, I figured that that this was a game that that objectively St. Joe's would probably win because of exactly what I just mentioned. But um, in, in terms of expectation, you know, uh, Joe Lenardi and I talked about this, and there were points in the first half where it was like, oh, well, this could get to 20. And to their credit, it never really did. Uh, there was always there was always a run. Temple kept it it kept it physical. Uh, they they turned it into, you know, as you would expect with the Temple St. Joe's game. Um, they made it a physical enough game to stay in the fight. They got good looks. They executed well. Uh, Zion Strickland did uh, did a great job 
basically finding the seam in in that St. Joe's zone and basically uh, flashing Zion Stanford, Stanford. Zion, yeah, Zion Stanford, excuse oh, me. We had I'm, I'm thinking, no, year. it's funny. I'm thinking, <laughs> no, no, I'm thinking of, uh, who the heck am I thinking of? Um, I think I just took, I took Zion Stanford and, uh, and Mark Strickland. And that was, yeah, Mark Strickland is the temple, is a, is a temple guy who's now 53 years old. And I took Zion Stanford <laughs> all, and Mark Strickland and I got Zion good. Strickland. But no, but Stanford anyway. played great. He, and yeah. as for a freshman too, I think he's turned some heads already. Yep. So, um, he's, uh, he's, he's absolutely going to be something special. Uh, and the fact that he's a city kid and a true freshman and a West Catholic kid, um, he'll be beloved in this city provided, provided, you know, he's, he's there because that's the the hardest thing. I think this day in age in college basketball, it's just trying to keep the kids that, that you've brought in. Um, and I, I think that's why, if you're, you're looking at reasons why St. Joe's is successful right now, it's because the guys that that he's brought in in the last couple of years have stuck with him. Um, and I think that says a lot about Billy Lang and the rapport that he has with his players. And uh, it, it's not just the fact that they brought all that back. Their defensive numbers are as good as they have been in a long time. Um, I was looking at some of their Ken Palm stuff. Um, Joe Lenardi and I share a, a Ken Palm subscription usually every year. And uh, it's it's funny knowing that Lenardi has to subscribe to that. You think they just give it to him? They would just give it to him. Yeah, no, <laughs> he has to pay like everybody else. Um, so uh, looking at at what they've done, I mean, forty fifth best defensive efficiency in the country, um, defensive three point percentage, twenty nine point five, sixty eighth in the country. Defensive two point percentage, forty four percent, thirty first in the country. Uh, I think this is the dumbest stat in the world, but I'll tell you anyway. Defensive free throw percentage. I mean, I, unless like you foul harder than other people, but I, I guess there is something to that because opponents are only shooting 63% against them from the foul line, which is 19th best in the nation. Take that for what you will. Uh, but um, hard Philly fouls are getting to them. You know, <laughs> he's done a really good job of managing his rotation. Um, top 15 in the country in terms of minutes continuity. So the, the guys that, that he puts on the floor at particular moments are on the floor for the reason for a reason because he believes that they should be and he's figured out the right combinations. And um yeah, I mean the other night against Villanova, I was particularly impressed with how quickly uh they were able to weather the storm of three different guys in foul trouble in their front court because uh no crease to Sandico the last couple games is is getting back from that toe injury and Anthony Finkley gets in foul trouble. Rashir Fleming gets in foul trouble. Kotsper Kwachik gets in foul trouble. And his substitution patterns were on point. It was like he played them all just enough where where it, it didn't get bad and and none of them ended up fouling out. And um, him bringing Rashir Fleming back into that game, I know we're off on a wild tangent here, um, you know, pre-Big Five Classic, but uh, him bringing Rashir Fleming back into that game Wednesday night with like less than 11 minutes, I think on the second half clock, he probably could have waited a couple minutes, but his instinct was to bring him back uh, at that under 12 timeout, and it was the right one. So um, kudos to Billy Lang uh, and his staff. I'm really happy for them because I know what the last few years have been like, and, you know, it's it's hard, you know, when you follow anybody that that has had success and that has been somewhere uh, as long as Phil Martelli was. And, um, you know, I I I think it's, it's a, a long time coming for what – uh, Billy and his staff have, have been through these last few years. So happy for him and and excited to see what's coming. Yeah, I think uh, most people thought this might be kind of like a make or break year this year for Billy Lang and knowing the roster and everything you said, all the scoring he kept back and keeping Eric Reynolds on the team. I know, um, you know, if you, you do some research, I'm sure he had offers other places. Um, so to keep him and his scoring, I, I do think he's probably top two player in this city. It's probably him and Eric Dixon, I would say. And um, it's he's they were phenomenal. And as it pains me to say it, even at the end of the game, Lynn Greer, who is on St. Joe's and not Temple, much to the uh, <laughs> uh, upsetness of a lot of Temple alum, um, Lynn Greer made some plays at the end of the game, too. So whether it was Lynn Greer driving and kicking to Reynolds or, you know, even some plays, it looked like we had good defense and um, you guys found like an alley-oop out of nowhere. And people don't I, I played basketball and you know watch it a lot more than i would like to admit like a, a simple play like that if it's a six-point game but then saint joe's gets an alley-oop dunk just the momentum swing alone just changes the dynamic you think you have them locked up 
And then no, it's a wide open dunk. So things like that just kept happening. And uh, I think it was like the 14 or 13 minute mark. We got to four, I think around the nine or eight minute mark. We got to five again. And, and, and then, then I, they ripped, they ripped off a cup. They ripped off a couple. There was, yeah. there was I remember it. Cause I just, I heard it. Cause somebody had put it up. Um, there was a play where um, he either caught it. it. was the play. Maybe he, when he caught the lob off the inbound designed inbounds. Yeah. Yep. Uh, where Temple had just gone on a run. Yep. And Saint and that was more or less, I think, the story of that the other night, where anytime Temple Temple went on a run, St. Joe's answered it. And yep, 100%. Um, this isn't it's they're not the oldest team in the world, but that's that's a mark of an older, better team. Because mm-hmm. a year ago, at least in the, the first half of last season, that probably doesn't happen with them. Um and I try not to sugarcoat things. Um, you know, I've, I've had a front row seat now for 15 years <laughs> and it, it probably doesn't with, with last year's group, at least in the first half of the season, the, the group that was in Brooklyn in March down the stretch, it might've, uh, because they were playing pretty well. And then they ran into a, a Dayton team that still has an NBA player on its roster in Duran Holmes. So, um, uh, and last year it probably doesn't happen this year. I think it shows you, uh, number one how much more mature they are on the basketball court. And then you can add in the fact that they're defending the way that they are. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot there, I think to, to be successful. They, they have a big week coming though. Um, they have American on Wednesday and then they're likely after uh, they play Drexel tomorrow, Princeton does Princeton's likely coming into Hagen arena undefeated uh, with one of the top 10 net rankings in the country. So we'll see. Um, I, t- I just saw like one of those college maps of undefeated teams and i saw princeton in the corner i was like i had no idea princeton is that good this year but apparently they, they are well they're solid i'm so I don't know they, they played but no i mean well so their their best win is rutgers um hey, it, rutgers. Was, it, it, it was opening night um right i mean rutgers uh rutgers is a top 70 program according to ken palm duquesne who's in st joe's league obviously in the a10 and has a good roster under LeBron's former high school coach Keith Dambrot, uh, is pretty good uh, itself. They're five and two, um, and have some decent uh, decent wins, uh, including a win over Charleston on a neutral floor. Um, you know, on their resume, so Prince Princeton's a good team with a lot of the guys back from from that team that went to the Sweet Sixteen. I'm uh, basically looking down their roster, and they have one, two, three, four, five. They've got at least five guys that were that were major contributors to that sweet 16 roster in their, their rotation. And no surprise, it's, it's five of their top six are those guys. So they're good. They're very good. Um, and it's, I, I want to kind of just go back one more time. You're saying about the St. Joe's roster and I'll, I'll give my buddy uh, Jonas, who is one of my best friends from temple. Uh, he was who I went to the game with. He's been on my show before after the game, he actually texted me. Um, that St. Joe's team kind of reminded him of like that 2010, 2012, 12-ish era Temple basketball teams of okay. that brand. Yeah. Well coached, like one through seven, eight could all score, play defense. When we had Ramon Moore, Scooty Randall, yep. Cleef Wyatt. Yep. Um, and I, I kind of agreed with them after that. And I was like, you know what? You're kind of right. And that's why we, we lost the game kind of the way we did. They just had a, a better roster than us and it showed at times. Couple, yeah, a couple of good bigs, LeBoy Allen, Michael Eric, guys like that. Um, yep. you know, you had you had your glue guy and Relier Jefferson, Scooty. Yeah, those yep. guys were all good. It's funny. Um, I see Ramon Moore every now and then at like uh high school tournaments here and there. I did one in Atlanta um back in April, and uh Camden was down there, and I think he was he was either helping out Malik or that that was the reason he was down there. And it, I turned around and I was like, Oh, what's up, Ramon? Uh <laughs> But yeah, I mean those guys; those guys were as good as anybody. Um, and St. Joe's, St. Joe's forever, just like just like what was going on uh, in conference play against St. Louis. St. Joe's couldn't couldn't beat them forever. Um, Fran Fran had Phil's number. It felt like for a little while, and uh, it was a a lot of it was guard play. Um, and I mean that's that's honestly what gets me excited, Sean, about this roster. Uh, we talked about Eric Reynolds. Uh, you talked about Greer. Xavier Brown is is all of uh is all of you know 19 actually he might be yeah I think he turned 19 he turned 19 today as we're yeah. recording this and <laughs> he's all of 19 years old and that kid's a man yeah. that kid is that kid is a, at least a man on the basketball court and, I, I think when when he committed to St. Joe's there was a couple of temple people saying how did we not 
get that guy. Well, yeah, well, it's because, <laughs> well, it's because you're, you know, your associate head coach isn't his stepfather. So that's, yeah. there's, there's that there's... part of it. And um, <laughs> it was, he was probably going to go to USC if he didn't go to St. Joe's. So, um, but yeah, he's, he's something, man. Um, he's something. Anthony, and Anthony Finkley, uh, to his credit, who had uh, Anthony Finkley having the first, what was it, seven points of the game the other night on their bingo card? No, I did so, not have that. <laughs> yeah, there are, um, there are a lot of layers, I think. And again, you know, full transparency, I've done their games a long time. I I want to see them win. Of course I do. Uh, but I, I love the Big Five, too. And if if they weren't any good, I would tell you that that, that they were struggling. Um, because otherwise, you know, I only have my word and my credibility and it doesn't help me to be to be full of you know what, um, no matter how much I love them. And it doesn't doesn't do them do them any favors either. So um Matt, you talked about, you know, the the job Adam Fisher's done so far. Um, and the other night he had a little bit of a short bench, so it's not like you got to see every player play that much. Um, just what were your thoughts of, you know, maybe what went wrong and what can we still be excited for this team as Temple fans? Yeah, I mean, I I think the effort more than anything, um, that's that's the first thing. They're going to they're going to do things, you know, fundamentally, um, because that's that's what I what I think they're going to have to do to win based on the roster that he's constructed. And it's not it's not like I'm saying that his roster isn't any good. It's just with the, the amount of time that he had from taking over, what he had coming in in terms of, you know, actual recruits versus transfers. Um, you know, I, I think they're going to have to do the little things. Well, they're going to have to make fundamental basketball plays. They're going to have to go to the free throw line and shoot a top 40 percentage, which they are as a team. They're going to have to not turn the ball over, um, at a high rate. I mean, I don't know if people know this, they don't turn the ball over at the ninth highest rate in the country. So they take care of the basketball, uh, pretty darn well, uh, to this point. And, you know, they, they did it again the other night, they turned it over nine times. I don't know if you know, St. Joe's had nine nine turnovers in the first half against them. <laughs> so um, they do a really good job taking care of the ball. Uh, like we we talked about Zion Stanford again. Apologies to um, to the everybody in the in Cherry and White Nation for calling him Zion Strickland, but um, I think Zion Stanford's a really good piece. Jordan Riley, as you saw the other night, is an absolute freak of an athlete. That if his perimeter game develops uh, a little more. You know, I, I know he was two for four the other night, but I also know what his career percentage says. So if that that can be a little bit more consistent, um, I saw Steve settle a ton last year and by a ton, I mean twice on national TV, but uh, <laughs> enough that, you know, I, I had conversations with his, his old coach at Howard, uh, Kenny Blakeney, and that kid's just growing into to being, you know, the, the level of college basketball player that he's capable of being. Um he had 25 in a game last year or two years ago against Notre Dame. He he stepped up um, like crazy in the MEAC tournament to get Howard to to a tournament title. And, you know, let's call it what it is. Uh, the only reason he isn't at Howard anymore is because he's capable of playing, you know, in in uh, a group of five level league. Um, and who knows? You know, he has he has power five level type of athleticism. So, um, you know, Steve Settle being a junior is is going to be very good i think for the next for the next couple of years for this program again provided you know he wants to stay and he likes his experience i'm and why wouldn't he um it seems like these guys like playing for coach fisher and um you know you have as good a leader as anybody i think out there in, in hasir miller uh he just didn't shoot the ball well the other night he was two for 12 on twos two for five on threes um it's you're gonna have a tough night winning a basketball game like that if your leading scorer who's who's coming off a big night, triple OT against LaSalle goes four for 17. It's just not going to happen. Um, so I, I was impressed with their compete uh, with, with some of those individual pieces. And I think like that they're projected. And again, you know, going back to, to Ken Palm, it's not the basketball Bible, but they're projected to be, to be like a, a middle of the road team uh, in the American. And I think that they could be that if not, maybe a little better. And that'll, that'll, that's just what their ceiling is this year. But as he comes in and, and he develops his program and he gets more, more of his kids in, uh, if he was my, I know he was, he was Micah's top assistant at Penn state. Jim Laranega loved him, uh, enough to have him be their offensive coordinator at Miami. 
and he recruited Isaiah Wong and um, and some of those other guys. So uh, I, I I think you you have a really good one over on North Broad, and they're only going to keep getting better. So it, it's going to make the city a hell of a lot more competitive, and that's that's what I think is it's not it's not the par- the paradigm shift isn't the word, but whether it's temporary, whether it it lasts a little bit longer, whether it's a few years, whether it's one year, the whole city has to be competitive again for the big five to consistently come back. You need Temple to be good. You need St. Joe's to be good. You need LaSalle to to be what they are or to be better than what they are and to potentially grow into like a fringe level tournament tournament team again. And I have no doubt that they can uh, under Fran Dunphy if they they continue doing what they're doing with the resources and and lack of bench that they have right now. Um, they're going to win games based on those guards. Just they're they're going to beat at least one or two teams in conference play this year where people are going to be like, what the hell happened? How did how did that happen tonight? Um, and guard play, as I've as I've said a couple of times, it wins and it travels. It travels well, especially in March. Um, eventually, I'm going to end up sounding like John Rothstein with with some of this <laughs> stuff. But um, I I I think there's there's a lot of truth to to having good guard play and consistent guard play. Um, in terms of determining what your success is like at the end of the year, so no, yeah, and I, I agree. I, long story short, I, I I like what Temple has. I I like everything that you just said. Um, <laughs> I agree. Me. You know the 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 effort that this Temple team has. Um, definitely. You know, if you watched the games last year, I'm sure you did. Uh, they just didn't look like they were always giving it their best under Aaron McKee, and that's not. I don't know who's to blame for that, but I, I I've said before on my show. Um, you know, this roster, I do think has a chance to maybe get to 500 basketball, which on paper, um, this roster is not as good as the roster last year, but the roster last year got to 500 basketball. So if, if right. we, well, if we, if we do that this year, that is all on effort and Adam Fisher getting these guys to play for him. Well, and I mean, I, I think it was, it was fairly clear looking at last year's roster that, um, you know, I don't just just calling it like I see it in terms of watching body language. I don't know if all those guys necessarily got along as well as as uh, they wanted them to get along. So, um, you know, I think that that's already better uh, right off the bat. I think your you know, your your team chemistry is going to be better. Oh, and that game's different, too. The other night, if you have a Jaleel White. Um, yeah, because, I'm trying to not say that, but like I have thought that to myself. Yeah, it's like, we were missing our six foot seven, you know, it's point different. forward. <laughs> um, do they win that game the other night? No, I don't. I don't think so. But could it have been a possession or a couple of possessions inside of like two minutes with with maybe a chance to tie the game or something like that? Yeah, I could see that. Uh, if, if they shot the ball a little better and you have him, yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, so. I, and I, again, I'm, I've no. Don't want to take anything away from St. Joe's. I do think on paper their roster is better than us. But, yeah, I did have that thought at the end of the game. I was like, we are missing, like, when you guys are getting those oops. I'm like, do those still happen with Jaleel White kind of sitting in the middle there? Because he is, he's gotten, I don't know if his knee was just not healthy last year or he actually added inches to his vertical leap. But he's been getting up a lot this year. Um, so it he, just it, means it, it means they, they would have deflected one and then Rashir Fleming would have grabbed it and dunked it anyway. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so, uh, I, I'm curious to see where this, this temple team goes from here. Um, I don't think this will take all the sales out of them. Some people were like super disappointed that we didn't win against St. Joe's. I'm like, I get it. We wanted to win the big five championship, but also I was happy to just be there. Like, I did not think we'd be playing in that Big Five championship game, let alone against St. Joe's. So I was just happy to see that at all. I mean, there was just a fun game, fun environment all around. So I was a little, I don't want to say that's like loser mentality, but I was like, let's just be happy to be here. This was fun. <laughs> I mean, you have to go back to, to 09-10, uh, and they they blitzed St. Joe's that year too as the last year that that anybody not named, um, you know, not named Villanova ended up winning the Big Five. Um out, you know, outright anyway. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think to, to be in that position is, is a great thing, especially after you, you lose what you lost on the roster and then you have to have to come around, come turn it around, hire a new coach, rebuild your roster. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you can be happy with that. Um, no moral victories. Yeah. Of course, everybody wants to win, 
but at the same time, I, I think the, you know, what, what is there now is, is better off in the long run than, than, you know, what was going out the door. Um, and I, and I, I think they'll be successful. It's just a matter of, is it next year? Is it the year after winning takes time? I, I, I hate to tell people, uh, haven't, haven't been around division, major division one basketball now for, uh, about a decade and a half. This isn't as easy as everybody thinks it is. I promise you. Nobody ever wants to hear that, but it that's that's the way it works. It's it's hard to win consistently, especially uh, in the current landscape with NIL and with the the transfer portal. I always joke with people, you need a you need a damn Venn diagram to figure out where kids are. Like it's like, all right, well he was at he was here in the American, and then uh, he ended up bouncing to the Big East, and now he's finishing up his career in the MIAC. And it's like, what? Like how are like this or this guy's on his fifth school. And I, I get it. Everybody wants to play, but at some point or another, you kind of have to be honest with yourself and just say, all right, this is it. This is the situation. Um, and I, uh, but then again, like, who am I to say my, <laughs> the last time, the last time I, I, I played major basketball was starting, starting senior year in my high school. So, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not going to tell kids how to think, but I, I do think it's, it's kind of become you know, for lack of a better word, a little bit batshit. With, yeah, with... no, and I'm hoping, because uh, I think this is the last year that kids will have, like, that COVID year. And I th- I'm hoping that kind of deflates Levels it, a it out a little bit. bit. Um, but you are right. It's, I mean, like you said, you know, it's hard to uh, keep track of where everybody's at and who's where and who's trying to, like you said, between NIL, Transfer Portal, everybody's trying to play somewhere. Um, so it'll be interesting to follow it. Um, you did mention one one quote that you said, and I agree with you. It it is will be good for the city if all these teams are competitive. If St. Joe's, it, it it has to be. And if you want, if you like, they're not going to like this, you know, because like I said on the broadcast, and it's it's totally true. And and all the credit in the world to Jay Wright and everything that he built and the level of player development, as we talked about when when he was on the on the broadcast with G and I, um all the credit in the world to to what they were able to do in terms of bringing in kids and four-year kids, no less, and developing them to the point where you are on like a national championship level year in and year out. That's what the hardest thing is going to be, whether it's Kyle Neptune there, whether it's somebody else, no matter who it is that's in that program, it's going to be the acceptance factor of the idea that you may or may not go to a final four like every other year. Um, I'm old enough to remember, you know, what it was like before Jay got there. Young Villanova fans, you know, they don't they don't know who Steve Lapis is. Lap was, you know, Lap wasn't a bad coach. They got to the tournament, um, but what their definition of success was then versus what it is now has, you know, changed ra- rapidly changed, um, and rightfully so. It's hard, like it's hard when you win like that. I mean, hell. You know, you root for the Eagles. I grew up rooting for the for the for the Eagles. I've rooted for the Eagles my whole life. Um, I said that I would be happy with one Super Bowl if I ever saw one in my lifetime. And then we won one, and I'm like, You yeah, want another I wanna, one? I, yeah, I want to win all the time now. And it's like, oh, this is what it feels like. This is what it felt like in Boston during that yeah, period was, of like 10 years yeah. where everybody was winning all the time. Um, it's just it's it's human nature. Uh, but at the end of the day, yeah, I I, I think it it has to be better um, as a whole, you know, the, the whole has to be, um, has to be greater than uh, the, you know, the sum of the parts or whatever that saying is. <laughs> um, um, well, Matt, uh, I'll end it with this one. Um, you've been working here in the city for, you know, 15, uh, almost 20 years now. Um, what, what have you just loved about doing what you do in the city of Philadelphia? Ah, uh, wow. It's funny. So you take, I'll take you back to um, the shag carpet of my parents' bedroom. Um, we had we had a TV in the living room that, uh, like, you know, it got we had an antenna up on up on our house. I grew up in a one story rancher in a three stop like town of the Poconos. My dad wouldn't pay for cable on principle because the cable company wanted to charge um, just an outrageous amount to pay for it. Uh, per telephone pole that you had in your driveway, they wanted to charge like a thousand dollars a telephone pole to hook up cable. So on principle, my dad was like, "No, we're not getting cable." So we had an antenna on the top of the house, and like, I kid you not, we had a a weather rotor 
that would like spin. Like you could you could turn the antenna when the weather when the weather was rough and you could get it in a different direction. It would pick up channels a little bit better. So that was like our living room TV. And then we had one in my parents' back bedroom that that only got like a handful of channels, 3, 10, 6, 3, 6 10, 17, 29, 57. And um, my first experience was watching the Atlantic 10 tournament on Philly 57. And I would write down matchups, you know, on a little orange notebook, like Catholic school notebook that they would give out, covered in contact paper. And I would write down St. Joe's and I would write down Temple and I would put down, I would write down the St. Joe's starting five and rip off Mark Bass, Carlin Worley, Bernard Blunt, you know, St. Temple at that time, it was, it was Eddie, it was Rick Brunson, it was Aaron McKee, it was Derek Petit, it was William Cunningham. And I would literally write down the matchups on one side of a notebook and I would play like a game on a little Nerf hoop and I would pick like which team I wanted to win. Um, So that's one story. The other one is the first time I was ever in Alumni Memorial Fieldhouse, now Hagen Arena. I had gone to 76ers basketball camp as a kid up in Stroudsburg in the Poconos. And one of the prizes for, I guess, somebody hadn't attended that was supposed to, it was the year Jerry Stackhouse got drafted. One of the the consolation prizes for them not getting enough players to come was you got to attend uh, a, a 76ers practice. And back then they practiced at Alumni Memorial Fieldhouse. So the arena that I grew, that I now work in on a, a fairly regular basis, I was in as a kid. And I remember John Lucas at the end, who was the head coach of the Sixers on a very bad Sixers team at the time. At the end of the practice, everybody was sitting up in the, the upper set of bleachers at Alumni Memorial Fieldhouse. And John Lucas all of a sudden shouted, two minutes of autographs, two minutes. And everybody darted down the stairs and made a beeline. And I'm a, I'm a, Huge North Carolina basketball fan since I'm about five years old. Um, everybody beeline for Jerry Stackhouse. And I ended up getting uh, an autographed picture of Jerry Stackhouse and um, a couple of other guys from that Sixers team. And I, I think about that little kid. And I, I try and take that approach to work, even even though this is a tough business. And even though it's, it's, it's crazy frustrating um, grinding in this business, it's tough. Anybody that will tell you that's done this for a living, it's incredibly rewarding but it's also incredibly hard because every, I think people have a skewed view of like, you know, oh, everybody, everybody in that business makes, makes great money. No, that's, that's <laughs> not the case. Uh, and it, it takes a long time to make it. I can, I can attest to that. Um, I've made decent money in this, in this business, but it was never about that anyway. Uh, but once, once you have a family that, that does start to become a little bit more of a factor. The overlying point is though, I, I think back to that little kid, and I think about how cool he would think this all is. Um, and I try and take that mentality when when I go to work every day and when I step into a gym uh, like I did on Saturday. That whole event had a pro feel to it. It had a classy feel. It had a, a, a feel of all the nostalgia uh, of, of, you know, decades of big five basketball, you know, 68 years worth, um, at this point, 68 years worth of big five basketball culminating in in kind of a new era and the fact that i got to be on the call for that with one of one of my best friends uh is is really something truly special and the fact that i get to go to work every day and work with with my big little brother in uh in in joe lenardi is awesome um because i i still remember the first game that we ever did together which was uh it was saint joe's and widener an exhibition game just to test out the fact that we were we were going to be streaming a game on audio. Can you believe that? <laughs> back in back in the uh, in in like oh, late October, or early November of 2006, it was like, oh my god, look at us! We're <laughs> we're, we're going to stream a game via audio. Like this is new wave, new technology, uh, new technology. <laughs> and um, I, I think about how far this has all come, and uh, you know, uh, that that on Saturday. That's the biggest event uh, that I've done, I, I think, in my career, you know, on a personal level uh, since my dad died. And um, I think about how supportive my parents have been of my, my own career and, and how, how, how proud I, I know he would be. Uh, my parents met, actually, in Temple Medical School. I didn't even tell you that. Um, so uh, how proud he would be to, to see that and how cool he would think that that was. So... 
um that's a lot that's a that's a long answer but um i'm i'm definitely a very retrospective person i i try and and think about uh just just the magnitude of the opportunities that that i've been afforded uh not only in this profession but in this game i love basketball as much as anybody out there uh, i love calling it and uh i'm i'm pretty damn fortunate that i get to do it in in my favorite city in the world and and my home media market so uh long answer but that's that's more or less what what has been the best part of my experience here um i i love what i do and the fact that that i get to do it in philadelphia is is Billy Lang called being in that game the other night uh, truly a blessing. It was a blessing to be able to call that the other night. And uh, to hear so many people say uh, how much they in enjoyed us and how much um, they felt like we didn't get, a get in the way of the game. And that's all you ever want to do. You only want to be an afterthought for the most part. Um, and then if, if somebody says, hey, you know, I really like the way that you called that or you did that, like that's that's very humbling and very flattering. Um but to be a part of that was 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 really something and and something that I'll never forget. I, I hope we get to do it, uh, Sean, for for a long time. So thank you, uh, Matt. That was an awesome answer. Um, and I, I guarantee you, like you said, that that little kid who was uh, writing down the names of all of the, the players on Temple and St. Joe's, he couldn't have come up with better games on Saturday <laughs> to announce. Yeah, you're uh, right. You're and, right. And he would have been so proud. And, uh, you know. Thank you for doing that. Uh, I mean, like you said, every, everybody had such a great time. We hope you get to do it again next year. And just thank you for doing this. I really appreciate it, Matt. Yeah, my pleasure. Can't wait. I, uh, I'll, I'll do it anytime. So um, yes, the, first maybe, of, the first of hopefully a few. I was going to say, maybe at the end of the year, we'll get you on. We recap both of our seasons, hopefully happily together. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that'll that'll be good for for everybody. And and I promise you, maybe we'll do it on like a weekend and I, and I will open a beer with you. That sounds perfect. <laughs> uh, thank you, guys. And as always, I'll be back.